On Forgotten Gems, we look at some film festival favorites that initially received a lot of attention, but have since either fallen into obscurity or fallen out of favor. We're going to dig them up and relitigate. On this episode, we're looking at Joshua Marston's Maria Full of Grace, which was a festival sensation in 2005, in particular for its lead performance that netted Catalina Sandino Moreno an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. But is the movie any good? Let's find out. Forgotten Gems, a chance to rediscover festival favorites. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the mule Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Oh, I'm great, Doug. I'm, I'm chock full of things I'm bringing across the border. Oh, well, that is... See, Liam is making a reference to the movie we're going to talk about today, Maria Full of Grace, and the fact that it's about some very serious subject matter. But you're having a little fun with it, Liam. You're playing playing some of your funny games when it comes to some serious topics here today. I mean, I'm always bringing things across the border, Doug, but mostly it's love. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think you can be busted for that. Actually, you probably could now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, what are you going to do with the rest of 2021? To rest? We're halfway re- through it. Oh, Jesus. I Don't remind me. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, I don't know, Doug. It's, it's going to be 2022 in a very short period of time. Yeah. And I think I'm still processing 2020. So <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know. Hopefully I'm going to not be getting the Delta or Lambda or s- whatever variant and just live in my life. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, I, I, I wish you well in your attempts to live your life, Liam, and hopefully we can all live our lives. And like yourself, I feel like I'm going to be processing my PTSD from the year 2020 for the next decade or so uh, and uh, and not wanting to repeat that. So I'm feeling, but I mean, I am feeling good. I'm vaccinated. I'm almost uh, through my two weeks, Liam. I got a haircut. I'm ready to face the world and all the challenges it has until one of them hit. And then I'm just going to curl into a ball and cry for a while. I mean, I support that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad we support each other. Liam, today we're here to talk about Maria full of grace. Uh, like the previous episode, central station, we are again talking about a foreign film that found some U.S. recognition. In this case, once again, a nomination for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. A pretty unique thing, especially because this film was not nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. Uh, it had been selected by Columbia to be its choice, but it was rejected because it was considered to not be Colombian enough, which is an interesting thing. Maybe we'll talk about when we talk about the movie itself. Uh, but this is not a movie that necessarily won a lot of awards for like best picture or best foreign film in throughout its run the the performance the lead performance is what tended to get recognized but it did win best foreign film at the washington dc area film critics association awards in 2004 liam so uh i wanted to look at that year in particular at that set of awards in particular to kind of reminisce about the year 2004 what were you doing in 2004 liam that's a good question. I think I was working my first like real job right out of college. Like I graduated in 2002, but I didn't have many like full-time employment opportunities, I think until 2004. Right? And 2000 2000- what was the job? What was the thing you were doing? 
I believe I was in Norfolk, Virginia, working as a youth pastor. Oh, and so you, as we've mentioned on other podcasts, so you take your chair, you spin that sucker around, yeah, you sit down on it and be like, "Hey, I'd rap at him, man. I'd give him yeah. my rap." Yeah, yeah. You, you like the notorious Big? You know another person who was struck down in their prime? A little guy called Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the winner of Best Picture. At the uh, Washington D.C. Area Film Critics Association Awards in 2004, was uh, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Liam. That's a pretty good movie. I like that. I think it holds up. Uh, just going through the awards rather quickly. Best Actor went to Jamie Foxx for Ray. Best Actress to Imelda Staunton for Vera Drake. Best Supporting Actor Jamie Foxx again for Collateral. Good year for Jamie Foxx. And Best Supporting Actress Kate Blanchett in The Aviator. And Best Director went to Michelle Gondry, my good pal. I have a picture of myself drawn by Michelle Gondry, one of my most prized possessions. And a Best Foreign Language Film, as I already mentioned, Maria, Full of Grace. Again, that is one of the notable things about this movie. Everyone agrees on the quality of that performance. Not everyone necessarily agrees on the quality of the film as a whole. But we're going to get to that when we talk about it. Anything you want to note about these awards at all, Liam? No, I mean, there are all those sorts of things that I would have maybe not predicted per se, but there are all the sorts of things that sound familiar from that time period. Like these are the movies and performances we were talking about, uh, generally speaking. You'll see some of these names reflected on uh, the list of Best Actress nominees for the that year's Academy Award, the 77th Academy Awards. Uh, that is where uh, Catalina Sandino Moreno was nominated. She was up against Hilary Swank for Million Dollar Baby, Annette Bening in Being Julia, Imelda Staunton as Vera, uh, in Vera Drake, as we just mentioned, and Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And uh, indeed, Hilary Swank won for Million Dollar Baby. Are you a fan of the movie Million Dollar Baby, Liam? You know what? I definitely was at the time. I remember yeah. thinking it was pretty good, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I have not returned to it even once, nor even thought about returning to it per se. Whereas, uh, for example, we've now just rewatched Maria Full of Grace, and I've certainly watched Eternal Sunshine more than once since it came out. Sure. Though, of course, rewatchability is not necessarily a uh, the only factor in the quality. No, but it's just interesting that I like. For a movie that at the time felt very important in some way, I haven't thought about it since it came, since seeing it. It just hasn't really. It just hasn't really. Uh, even thinking of Hillary Swank, I think more of Boys Don't Cry than I do sure. of Million Dollar Baby. That was, uh, I mean, not to to kind of get off topic, but I mean, there was a period where Hillary Swank was an A list actress yep. who w was getting a lot of these roles, and that seemed to fall away very quickly. Um, and, and when you look back on these performances, it might seem a little, I mean, if you're a younger person who wasn't necessarily, uh, in watching a lot of films when Million Dollar Baby came out and it really was, you know, it got a lot of critical attention but her performance in particular, then it might be a little surprising to see her listed here, but it really is an amazing performance. Uh, it is, you know, just interesting to compare it to some of the other names that are here and some of the performances at the time, including Catalina. Sandino Moreno, who we are going to talk about in Maria Full of Grace. Let's get to that right after this break. Si lo que lleva dentro se pierde en el camino, vamos a su casa y conversamos con su abuelita, con su mamá, con su hermana. ¿Entendió?
me a passport, diversion card, and ticket, please? Pregnant Colombian teenager becomes a drug mule to make some desperately needed money for her family in 2004's Maria Full of Grace, directed by Joshua Marston, also known for 2011's The Forgiveness of Blood, which is also actually uh, in competition at the 61st Berlin International Film Festival and competed for The Golden Bear, uh, as this movie did, by the way. And in 2016, he made his English language debut on Complete Unknown, starring the great Rachel Weisz. He's also uh, well known for a lot of his television work. He's directed episodes of The Newsroom, Six Feet Under, Ray Donovan, and many more. He also is the sole writer on Maria Full of Grace. Movie, as we mentioned before, stars Catalina Sandino Moreno as Maria Alvarez. The other names listed, I mean, there's great performers here and I don't want to discount them at all, uh, but the, really when you watch Maria Full of Grace, the performance that's going to stand out to you is Catalina Sandino Moreno's as Maria Alvarez. She's gone on to a great career. This was her first film performance and that is a pretty amazing thing to even hear come out of my mouth considering the the kind of layers of, of what she has uh, to display here uh, very difficult role very dramatic very tense movie to watch at times Liam you had seen this before it's something you mentioned on our last episode what were your thoughts coming back to Maria full of grace on rewatch it when I first saw this movie it felt very important it felt very powerful it felt like a moment you know this is the sort of movie that um when a friend offered me the original movie poster from the movie theater i forget what those are you know th there's a name for that kind of poster but the one that hung in the light box you sure know? absolutely i was like yes please i need it like it was a movie that i referenced for years afterwards people would talk about immigration and the latine experience and i'd be like oh have you seen maria full of grace oh have you seen maria full of grace like it's and and not only that even the poster which uh has an image that could be called um communion-esque yeah i mean obviously our, very intentionally so yeah 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 um is such a moment that I feel like there were discussions about it in theological circles for years afterwards about the similarities of this horrifying experience to rituals of eating and consumption and what all of that means about bodies and things like that. There's a lot of theory going around this movie. So I, I, I maybe went into it with too high of expectations and did not find myself as blown away as I was when I first saw it. Sure. However, it's still very good. And a lot of that has to do, as you've kind of already pointed out, with uh, Catalino Sandino Moreno. Her performance is unbelievable. And yes, she's had quite a career since then, but I don't think anything she's done since that I've seen has really put the focus on her the way that this movie does. And mm -hmm. I kind of want her to have another film where she is as much carrying it as she is here because this movie works not exclusively because of her, but primarily because of her. That if she was not owning this role and really giving us the layers that she is, this movie would not work, period. Because we have to see how difficult and complicated her decision-making process is. How 
she feels hopeless and how she is trying to make the right decisions in situations where it's not clear what the right decision is. You know what I'm saying? And and absolutely. And we have to be able to empathize with the decisions she makes. Maybe that's not successful for everyone. I, I get the feeling that not everyone sort of identifies with this movie the way that I do, but watching it, I do feel all of that. I think what came across on the second viewing is that I didn't feel as tense. When I first saw this movie, it wasn't just the beauty of it, which I think is there, or the way that it tells the story with a very interesting pacing, I think. Like, there's a lot at stake, but it, it takes its time. Uh, the way that it takes its time the first time I saw it filled me with anxiety. I would say, like, not a lot happens while they're on the plane, but the first time I saw this movie, Doug, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time they're on the sure. plane. Mm-hmm. I was sure that one of them was going to die on that motherfucking plane. Like, yeah. I was just like, or get caught, or whatever it is. And so knowing a little bit in advance how the movie was going to resolve itself, it loses some of that tension and whatever. But that allowed some of the more subtle moments of the movie to come across maybe uh, stronger to me. Uh, And maybe in some ways I appreciated some of the things that, not that I didn't appreciate, but were less important to me previously. Uh, Overall, though, I still think it's a, a very strong movie and one that, you know, I, I reading some of the reviews, there were people reviewing it who were like, "Oh, I had to watch this for Spanish class." Sure. Good, good on you if you make yeah. your 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 high school or college students watch this thing <laughs> for Spanish class. I I appreciate that and keep going with your mission. Sí, lo que yo entro se pierde en el camino. Vamos a su casa y conversamos con su abuelita, con su mamá, con su hermana. ¿Entendió? I was a little concerned going into Maria Full of Grace because I had an idea already of what it was about. And I was worried that it was going to take a very critical moral stance on the lead character for making some of the decisions that she makes. And one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that it doesn't do that. Uh, that, that and what you know the other thing I really liked about this movie is that they don't start with her having no options. She isn't destitute at the beginning, right? Her life isn't absolutely unbearable. She is 17. Her life is not great. Money is a struggle. The workplace that she has is obviously a terrible place for her to work. She doesn't. She has no freedom in her life, which is a kind of a, a central idea. And the people that she's around, they don't seem to have the spark that she has. And, you know, she could have made other decisions, but her 
her options are very, very limited because of her socioeconomic status, because of where she is in the world, for all sorts of different reasons. And the pregnancy is just another thing on top of that that has limited her options in her life. So when she makes this decision, when this opportunity is offered to her, it's one of those things where as a viewer, I'm like, well, she doesn't have to go in this direction, but it makes sense to me that she would. This is, you know, it makes sense that for her, it's like, well, there is a major risk here. But, you know, when it's presented to her, it doesn't seem like that much of a risk. And you do it. And in a few days, you have all this money. And maybe that opportunity that you just don't have in your actual life, that maybe there's never been presented to you in any way, maybe it'll it'll suddenly, you know, maybe it'll open up those options and those opportunities that you've never had. And we see people do this in our own lives all the time. So the fact that some people watch this and don't be able to, they are not able to relate to this to me is a little confusing i found this a very relatable movie even though the circumstances are something that are completely out of my own out of my own situation but when it comes to even outside of that the high tension of the oh i have swallowed a lot of drugs i don't want to get caught i'm being pulled aside at the airport they are going to ask me a bunch of uncomfortable questions i mean this movie the last 45 minutes are just incredibly tense and uncomfortable to watch and i can see why that might make it difficult to revisit it but it's uh, it is a movie that i think has a lot of value uh in regards to the way it, it kind of unfolds and particularly how maria is presented and the way that her her situation is is um, documented in the film. I think it, you could look at some of the ways that she's presented when she's still in Colombia, and say like, well, she's being kind of a selfish teenager. It's important to remember that uh, American teenagers, especially white ones with money, yeah, uh, and I'm sure this is true in Canada too. They yep. get to be that way. Like American mm -hmm. teenagers don't have to go, well, I should work this horrible sweat job. Well, some people do, but the majority of, of privileged white American teenagers, they don't have to say, well, I could either be a teenager or I could help my family live because uh, my, my sister has a baby. Like it's really easy to say like well she's being selfish she's 17 she's she doesn't 17. get to be a 17 year old she has to fucking work a job where she's shamed because she wants to go to the bathroom and throw up yeah uh, the, the craziest thing here is the idea that americans have because so often doug and i don't know if you've noticed this as a canadian americans will have all the privilege in the world and then still choose to live in a way that dehumanizes them, right? So Americans have higher wages. They have more opportunities uh, for for privileged lives than this character does. And yet they'll be like, well, I would never go to the bathroom when I was feeling sick because that's not hard work. It's like yeah. the point of us living in a world with all these privileges shouldn't be you just beat yourself up working some shitty job that makes you hate your life. Why should she have to live that way? Like why should yeah. she have to be shamed because she has to throw up? And that's literally what happens. And the idea that people are like, well, she just keeps making these terrible decisions. What the fuck? First of all, let's all stop assuming we know the decisions we would make if we were in that yeah. scenario. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, honestly, the only thing that would keep me from swallowing those motherfucking drugs is the fear that I would die. You yeah. take if if I had the 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 immortality bug that most seventeen year olds have, <laughs> I would swallow as much of those motherfuckers as I could. They give you a hundred bucks for each one of those pellets. I would do it till I was puking on pellets. Are you kidding yeah, me right now? Absolutely. Like, give me that money. And then when she chooses to stay in America, like of course she does. Like what does she have to go back to? Here she's got at least the 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 option 
to either raise her child or terminate a pregnancy. Now, you could argue that that maybe is less available. That like uh, the the one criticism I did have, and and I, and I want to know what you thought about this, Doug, is mm-hmm. the way the movie presents her choosing to stay in America maybe doesn't complicate enough how hard that is and how quickly she could just get swept up by ice even then or how choosing to stay doesn't mean she has an option for a job or even if she chooses because she wants to terminate her pregnancy well that's not easy either or getting health care like that's not like it's it's not clear that staying in america is an uncomplicated option and i'm not saying the movie presents that go ahead i just wanted to say that i i do think that you're exact. I think you're exactly right, but I also think that the end of the movie is not presenting it as now she has made a good decision and can live her life freely. It's now there's now her struggles are going to be different, but they're still going to be struggles, right? I mean, she doesn't even, she doesn't speak any English at all, as far as we can see, and I mean that's going to be a major struggle in and of itself. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know anybody. She has a little bit of money. So, but you're you are right. I mean, the for her life might just from the point that this movie ends, life might just get worse for her, not any better. I just think that the overall presentation of America when she's there, if you take away the drug cartel, <laughs> the, the the doofy boys who clearly aren't very good at their jobs anyway, it's not clear that the movie presents the U.S. as mm, scary and dangerous as it can be. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that some white viewers might see it as, oh, of course she's going to choose to stay here. That's not complicated. When it is complicated, it's actually, and and I'm not saying the movie doesn't know that. I'm not saying the director doesn't know that. I'm saying the movie doesn't present that. And so ignorant people might make the wrong assumption about that decision and get the wrong message about the movie. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there is an interpretation of this movie is that it's like, oh, this immigrant, she wants to come to America because America is where it's the land of opportunity, you know, this kind of cliched view of the country. And so some of that is reinforced in this. I do think there's some, it does have some criticisms on the margin. I always think about that, uh, the cab driver who says, oh yeah, I'll wait for a second. And like three seconds later, he just fucking takes off yeah. and just leaves <laughs> them stranded. And it's just, it's just the, the, the idea, there's a, a conversation earlier when Maria is asking someone about what America is like, and they're like, it's so amazing, right. it's so perfect. And when she gets there, it, it's not, it's just a place, right? But it maybe is a little bit better, or maybe a little bit better is, a, is actually a very loaded word. What I should say is, for her, it provides the excitement and opportunity that where she came from doesn't have at that time. But whether that's going to be the same thing when she has a kid, if she has a kid, whatever, it's a little hard to say. I do want to say one thing about something you already mentioned, though, which is about her job in Colombia. I found it so interesting that the movie does not give us the pleasure of her quitting her job. We see it being set up. We see her, see her being told to wash her own vomit off those flowers, and then we hear people talking about it afterwards as if it's like, whoa, Maria quit her job, right? But we don't get the satisfaction or the comfort of actually seeing her do it, and that's, that felt like a really interesting and specific choice to me. I agree. I think that was – I mean, I think it's important to think of every aspect of this movie as being – very intentional and well planned out. I think like even the imagery of her climbing to the roof of the building when she's making out with her boyfriend and him being too afraid to even try it. Sure. Like there's this isn't just like, well, let's just give some character here. Like I think there's a lot going on to every aspect of this movie and it works very well. And that idea that like, yeah, there probably is some 
power in that maybe or maybe not maybe it was just awkward but denying us that does something important i think for our interpretation of the story yeah especially because it 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 does still reinforce that she has that something about her that uniqueness that spark whatever it might be maybe it's just a strong headedness that comes from being a teenager that allows her to make these decisions but like you said i mean it's not unique for teenagers to make to not necessarily think of all of the the fallout that might occur from the decisions that they make um but you know it's still just because they do that just because they might make bad decisions or get caught up in things where they're over their head it doesn't mean they're bad it doesn't mean that they can't be sympathetic one thing i was really concerned about in regards to this movie is whether it was just going to be this bummer that was um that was going to be like an after school special i even said that when it came to central uh, station that my same concern about that right it's just going to be oh a woman and a kid on the road and it's just going to be like sweet sunshine family movie garbage my concern here was that she was going to become a drug mule and you know she was going to end up in an american prison or she was going to end up in this horrible situation where there's no potential for any positive light for the rest of her life it's a way to, to be like don't get into this situation and though <laughs> you will come out of this movie thinking you know what maybe i don't want to be a drug mule because of the possibility of a you know a baggie exploding in my stomach and killing me or you know threaten uh, threats against my family that sort of thing it is a movie that i think walks that line between being kind of accusatory and also being like hey what else are these people supposed to do in a way that i found really uh inspiring in a lot of ways really interesting and really unique that said i'm not sure it would work without the central performance with a lesser performance it might come off as preachy. It might come off as uh, as kind of a, just a bummer the whole way through. What did you think, Liam, of how this movie handled the kind of let's say let's say immoral choice that the uh, central character has to make? I think she makes a dangerous choice and she makes a stupid choice. I'm so uninterested in the morality around drugs, you know, know. as a straight edge person. You know what I mean? I, I I guess people assume that because I'm straight edge, I have a lot of morals around drug use. I really don't. Um, I really think like the only reason drugs for me become a moral issue is because uh, people become so desperate for the feeling that it gives them that then they hurt people around them, whether that's through abuse or abandonment or, you know, even stealing is sympathetic depending on the context, you know, like if you have an addiction and you don't have the resources, like, uh, you know, a reminder that even when it comes to questions of addiction, that like what we're looking at here is simply a question of who has the resources and what those resources justify. When rich, rich people become addicts, no one cares until they're not rich anymore. And then suddenly mm -hmm. they need to get help. Uh, and when it comes to addiction, we only care when it comes to the things that we have problematized. We still don't treat beer makers the way we treat cocaine makers. And, you know, the obvious answer for that is, well, cocaine is illegal and beer is legal. Okay. But, I mean, a lot of lives destroyed, even not even just by addicts. People who are casual users of alcohol will still end up dead or having murdered people. So, like, I, I don't think there's there's anyone that either of us know who haven't had their lives either directly or indirectly affected by alcohol in a way that led to deaths, for sure. Right. And so the, the reality here is is not, you know, I'm not a straight-edge person who's like, because of all that pain, we need to abolish things. I'm more like a... a 
a person who's like into legalization and then asking people to decide what makes sense for them. And, you know, half the evils that one might point to in this movie would be taken away if there wasn't the push of illegal uh, of of nefarious activity. There, there would at least be less money involved to pay people to put illegal shit in their bellies that might kill them if there was less of the 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 implicit money that a black market brings. A black market always incentivizes. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, when I see the decisions she's making, I think some of them are incredibly stupid. Uh, I, I guess primarily, you know, one of the ones that people seem upset about is because she's pregnant that she would make this decision. But again, I don't know that she has a lot of options in front of her and she's desperate. And I don't know the kind of dumb decisions I would make if I was desperate. So, And I, also, I, I mean, you could make the case that it's because she's pregnant that she's right. making these decisions, right? right? It's like, how can I raise my child in this situation? I need to at least give I have to give myself the opportunity so I can give my child the opportunity. Yep. Let, there's no suggestion in the movie that she has any interest in terminating the pregnancy. She even goes to have a uh, ultrasound in when she makes it to the U.S. And and I mean that just kind of reinforces this is something that she cares about. She doesn't care about having a man around. She doesn't care about anything else except providing an opportunity for her and her child to be happy. And for her, well, maybe one big risk. I mean, what what's what's what would staying at home be, except a risk, except a longer term one over a longer, you know, uh, for her, this is one risk that would be evened out by all the potential that it gives her. Plus, I just I mean, what I feel like is that there there are people who bring their own moralism to this movie and then are basically bummed that the movie doesn't moralize and they think that makes the movie weak, whereas it's the lack of moralizing that makes the movie work. Personally, I feel like. You could in 2021 tell an even more complicated story. Like Maria mm-hmm. could be less honorable and just as compelling. You know what I'm saying? The the journey could be more dangerous and just as compelling. Uh, and and she could be in a less like she could just be a teenager who's not even pregnant and it would still work. Like I think the the film, and I think this was just the environment of 2004. The film goes out of its way in my mind to actually make her more sympathetic. And so when people don't find her sympathetic, that's on them. Like I just think that's entirely a audience response. Um, I, I you know I, I think an aesthetic response, like well, I think it it would be more compelling if it was edited differently. Like I could see that kind of criticism. Sure. But but a lot of the things that I've read negative about the film do lean a little too hard into a into a kind of like honestly puritan mindset that want to see ah, maria absolutely. fucking punished and that's just honestly not just puritan but i'm frankly somewhat racist mindset right well the, you know same difference uh, honestly yeah, i mean fair <laughs> enough <laughs> you know that's you know no no offense to the puritans out there wait a minute yes all the offense to the puritans out there <laughs> um, no but you know what i mean like I, I think that's part of it right that uh inherently certain colors of skin get to have certain stories told about them. And so if this was a white teenager trying to escape a, a place that lacked hope, that she might be getting more sensitive readings from people. You know what I mean? If, if you, you could tell a similar, but less dangerous story about someone, a, a kid in the Midwest who is white, you really could be because there are still places in America that at least feel like they lack hope. It's just the journey out of those places are less dangerous and they're less dangerous partly because of racism. And that's just the reality. You know, if, if, if she was, 
if she was a uh, you know a fucking uh, Canadian teenager who got involved in smuggling uh, 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 legal weed into this country, sure. it, it, it would not be that dissimilar. I mean, she'd probably not die if she had to swallow it. She'd probably just put it in a van and drive across the border. But it could be the s- similar circumstances of doing something illegal because you think a new land promises you something, and it would not feel as tense. And some of that, not all of it, has to do with racism. And that's just the reality. Even the laws have to do with racism. So that's mm-hmm. just the, what we're dealing with. So Catalina Sandino Moreno became the first actress to be nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars for a role entirely spoken in Spanish. Her character is not there's not there's no suggestion she speaks any English at all in this film. The question I have for you, Liam, is why did this performance get so much attention? She wasn't as young as her character in this movie. I believe she was in her early 20s uh, when she uh, did this role. As I said before, she was very much picked out of obscurity. She had not been in a feature film before. Uh, What makes this performance so special? I mean... I'm no acting expert, so I, I don't want to, you know, my appreciation of the performance is not definitive, and I don't want to be like, this is the thing, Doug. But for me as a viewer, there's a subtlety that communicates both the ways that being a 17-year-old of, you know, male, female, non-binary, whatever, just being 17 in any situation involves a certain amount of selfishness. You know, like yeah. you just are worried about yourself and your future in a certain way. But she is still also vulnerable and also endearing to me uh she's trying to make the right decisions she doesn't always do that but she is motivated by doing the right thing she's also motivated by a desire to see lucy humanized which by the way i will say uh her friend blanca and her friend lucy are the other performances that stick out to me and the actress who plays lucy i've seen in other things i don't think she got as much attention but she's definitely an actress who i've seen before so uh, uh what is her name uh Ooh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Gulied Lopez, I think. Gulied, something like that. Sorry, sorry. Apologies for my bad Spanish pronunciation. As a Puerto Rican, I should be ashamed. Uh, That being said, (laughs) um, I think that she. One of the things that's really compelling is, while some of the decisions she makes in interacting with Lucy's family are not good decisions, they are the decisions that a seventeen-year-old would make. She never spills over into the heroic seventeen-year-old who doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, I I really do think that's what most 17-year-olds would do is, like, reach out but then be too afraid to, like, really open up about the horrible thing that happened. Uh, But she's motivated, I believe, by feeling that, like, Lucy was good to her and she owes her something. And Lucy is a human. And Lucy has now been uh, discarded. And that, again, she's being discarded by the drug cartel. And I will certainly, as much as I believe in the legalization of of, drugs, drugs i will never defend a drug cartel all of them are monsters and mm-hmm. um uh should be made to suffer in some way uh but that being said uh it's not just because of them and that's what makes it so hard is it's so easy to look at these fucking animals who really do cause suffering everywhere they go and say they're the bad guys and it's like well but they're able to be that way because of a system that allows yeah. it, because of a mm-hmm. world that doesn't give – I mean, that's partly the thing, right? If this was an American citizen, and especially an American citizen who was white, this would be a huge fucking disaster. These guys would be running for their lives. But they know that they can kill this woman and leave her body out, and it won't matter because no one who matters in, in a legal sense gives a fuck. And that is the issue of uh, how citizenship in the United States – uh, uh, as well as race, but let's focus on citizenship, equals humanity. That often not being a citizen 
or or in other ways not having the proper paperwork removes your humanity within our society and and that's changing and it's getting better but certainly when this film came out it was becoming actually worse and some of the worst laws that were going to affect uh immigration and people who were coming here from other countries were being enforced in 2004 that they had just been passed post 9-11 and we were seeing the effects of them in 2004 when this movie came out so i mean uh, i think about i think about the late uh trump era uh, suggestions of caravans at the yes, Mexican yes. border, and the, and and the questions that you would hear this like, and I'm I'm quoting directly from Fox News reports and other right wing and even left wing news sources would be like, how could mothers bring their children to this caravan? How could families come through this caravan to try to get into the U.S.? And what are they thinking? It's like, why would they take that risk? I mean, this movie is about risk, right? This movie is about the same idea. It's it's like it's because what else do they have? This is the opportunity, right? This is one that, you know, what they see. It's so, I mean, America's, and I hate to just say America because Canada's in the same boat, but it's such a contradictory place, right? It's just like America is the land of opportunity for the people that are in it. And it's it's supposed to be a beacon of opportunity for people around the world. But there's such a insidious element in the United States that hates anyone that wants to come to the U.S. for right. opportunity. <laughs> well, because it, it's based on the lie that they could come here legally easily, which is yeah. not true. Uh, that we would, even if they did all the legal stuff, that then we would accept them, which is not true. And that we could live without them. It's, it's. I mean, there's two it, things. It's also, that, by the way, just to add to that, it's also completely dismissive of the risk that they're already right. at where they right. are. Right. And I think that's that this is the... There's two things I want to focus on in relation to that, Doug. One is um, the hard line that this film and other media like it has to walk, which is both acknowledging the reasons people take that risk, but also dismantling the ideology that leads you to think that risk is worth it. You know what I mean? Because part of what uh, advocates for uh, people who come here want to do is not just defend the people who are coming here and say look at all this risk look at the way the dream look at how they want a better life like this is understandable they also want to reach out to that community and say that's a lie by the way the thing that made you think coming here was a good idea is Mm -hmm. not true because this country actually kind of sucks like not that maybe it is not better for you than in, than other places, but there are actually other countries that would be more worth your time than the United States because it's shitty here, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of things that fucking suck, and uh, and the the hardest thing is knowing how many people who come here actually know some of that, but it's so dangerous where they are, or it's so difficult, or whatever it is that's motivating them, they still want to come here knowing full well that this is a dangerous, unforgiving, uncompassionate place. The other part of that is that we're not responsible like that the united states has nothing to do with the circumstances that cause people to want to come here but we are we're the primary mover both historically and contemporaneously to create the circumstances that make people want to come here so it's not just the ideology people want to come here because they hear about how great we are it's also the shitty thing we also did that that's also our fault you know the best example is when uh, you know, the, a lot of the immigration from uh, Guatemala is around uh, the 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 gangs and the gang war, and everyone says, "Well, that's their problem." Except for the gang that is such a problem in Guatemala was created in United States prisons and then deported to Guatemala. That's our issue. We made that shit, and now it's their problem. And it's that that is such like a, a typical thing for us for the United States. And I really wish people would like sort of absorb that information. I think also. 
there's a continuing thing, Doug, that I think people need to come to terms with that we haven't, which is that we need people. It's it, a great sort of uh, uh, analog to that would be the Great Migration, right? When uh, African Americans fled the South because of violence, you know, lynching, persecution, sure. whatever, mm-hmm. they fled to the North. Well, that only went on for a few years before white people actually made bigger, more violent gangs not to run out black folks but to keep them there because what they realized is that if all the black people went north there was no cheap labor let alone free labor of prisoners that actually they needed these people that they hated to do all the work and so instead of doing what they were doing at first which is just killing people running them off they did the opposite killing people to make them stay to say like look you can't go north you have to stay here and creating all this propaganda about how in the north things were even worse than in the south because they realized they need that labor it's the same fucking thing here Half the people who are out there saying we got to build a wall or we got to do whatever, they need that labor and they fucking know it, man. They just want to keep it nefarious and black market because if we ever legitimize these people's existence, then they have to get paid fairly. They have to be treated like humans. And if we treat them like humans, these are folks, it'll affect their bottom line. I also want to say, let's not write this stuff off to the Trump era. There are multiple governors trying to send their National Guards to the Texas border and being funded by rich conservatives. This is happening right now. Like that 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 governors are, who have no jurisdiction are trying to send their National Guards to the Texas border to defend Texas from, again, this mythical caravan. And I'm not saying there aren't people trying to come across the border. That does happen, and it's happening in, in numbers. But the idea that it's this, like, organized force, that all we need is just more guns at the walls, quote-unquote, to keep them away, it's just not how this works. And it's insane that we are having... Uh, uh, almost private military forces sent to a border without any federal jurisdiction. It's crazy pants. And so the thing about this movie is that it's kind of still relevant in every way that matters. Honestly. Sure. Absolutely. And I mean, even outside, I mean, this film also works on a kind of a more of a metaphorical uh, level in regards to the patriarchy in the sense that the people who are creating these mules that are putting these women in harm's way are all men. They are putting something in their bodies. They're using them as human luggage. 100%. And when they're, when they, and you know, they they talk about all this care that they're taking. Once they reach the other side, no one gives a fuck about them. They are treated like complete shit. And in the case of the, of, of Lucy who, who dies, we don't know if she dies or if she's murdered because she's basically carved out so they can get the drugs out of her stomach. I mean, this is, there's, it's another reinforcement about Maria's decision. It's like, this is another yep. thing I need to get away from. Of course, as we know, it's not like there's no patriarchy when you get to the U.S., but in terms of, of the danger that she finds herself in, you know, it's something else. It's another force that's pushing her towards making the decision that she makes at the end of the film. I agree. Yeah. And and I think the idea that pregnancy is part of the theme, if you aren't thinking about uh, patriarchy and women I think that's intentional more than just let's make it harder for Maria. I oh, think absolutely. There's, there's it's, stuff it's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Because remember, her sister has a child. We see how much more difficult it is in Colombia for her sister with a child. She's basically reliant on her mother, reliant on Maria herself. She basically has lost all of her agency. She gets to New York and she has a pregnant figure. She has Lucy's sister who is pregnant. She's you know decorating her her house. Her house is not perfect. You know her apartment has her her. her uh, her, her husband and her husband's brother is living there and sleeping on a couch. And I mean, they're, 
they have hope for the future, but it's not like everything is certain. It's not like things are necessarily going to be great, but it's just the glimmer of hope that's enough to push Maria towards it. It's just that perspective of control over your own body to some extent. I, it's hard because I don't want my review of this movie to be about how alienating I found other people's review of this movie. <laughs> and I feel like some of that is animating the discussion a little bit because I think... just I got to throw it back the curtain just to let, let, let listeners know that right before we started recording, I told Liam about some Letterboxd reviews which were very unsympathetic to Maria and the decisions that she made in this movie. And they are out there. They are not all of the reviews. This is a very well-reviewed movie. Right. But I will say there's multiple people out there who could not connect with this movie because they thought that Maria was either being selfish or that because this is just something that happens all the time and uh, this, that even the, the movie's tagline is that this is a true story for 10,000 different people, uh, that, that to them it's not important that it's focusing on a single person. Right. So I'll, you know, I, and, and because I'm not going to focus on that response, all I'm going to say is I think, like I said, the movie lost a little bit of impact for me over time because I knew basically what was going to happen. But I think still it's a very powerful story. Uh, I think the ending really kind of works for me. Uh, and if I was going to criticize anything, it's that in 2021, um, I'd love a little more content reminding us that, like, the choices are not between good and bad. The choices are between two difficult situations. And I, and again, I think you're right. The movie's well aware of that. But in this time, I want I would want more of that. If we were if for whatever dumb reason we were remaking this movie, which I don't think it would need, uh, I would be like, okay, well, let's make sure it's clear that the U.S. Not as bad, but maybe just as bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, yeah. maybe just as difficult at the very least. Also, this movie would be more complicated because the political situation in Colombia right now is even more messed up than what this movie was made. So I'm sure a, a 2021 version of this film or a 2021 sequel would have a lot more nuances that were even more difficult to navigate. Yeah. It, it, I think it's important that – Though this movie takes a very documentary-like approach to showing kind of the order of events, that it's not supposed to be, again, a cautionary tale. It's really about a character and her decisions and her life and what she's doing. And to me, it's impossible to imagine watching this and not caring about what happens to Maria as she goes through these circumstances. Again, she, she has done something that has put her over her head but it's not like she's done it for no good reason. It's not like she just did it without thinking about it at all. It's it's she found herself in a circumstance where she thought she could make something more of her life and decided to do that thing. And she, and it, as the movie sets up right from the beginning, she is someone who is strong willed. And I think that will is a lot of what pushes her through this movie. The ending, it's indetermined whether the decision that she made was the best decision for her and her child or not. We don't know that for sure, but I do think that the ending leaves a possibility of hope. And that might be more than she had otherwise in the movie. How did you interpret the ending of the film, Liam? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I'm trying to communicate is that I think for me, the ending feels ambiguously positive. And maybe I'm so cynical about the U.S. right now that that's too positive for me. Um, but not in a way that ruins the movie. It's just, you know, as a 2020, 2020, 2021 
uh, viewer, I'm thinking, yeah, she probably lasts a week before she gets wrapped up in an ice raid anyway because things have been so tough for folks who are coming to this country. And it hasn't been like, as long as I get there, I'll be okay. It's like, no, like people who grew up here are getting deported uh, in mass. And uh, it's just things seem so tough right now that in some ways maybe uh, I wanted this movie to be a little tougher on it. But that being said, the ending still works, I think, for the where the movie is going, which is like, you know, she's making a decision. And that's what the movie's about to some extent, is her making decisions and having some amount of agency in her future in a situation that is is continually taking away her agency. This brings us to what we talk about on this podcast, Forgotten Gems. It's whether Maria, full of grace, is a forgotten gem. The fact is the director, though he's gone on to great success, has not found a lot of critical success in the films that he's made since then. Uh, Though her performance at the core of this movie uh, got a lot of attention at the time, and Catalina Sandino Moreno's had a very successful acting career, she does not get a lot of leading roles in films since then. Uh, I don't hear a lot of people talk about Maria Full of Grace in recent years. That isn't to say that it's not being discussed at all. I just don't hear a lot of it. Is it a forgotten gem, Liam? I think the gem is clear to me. I think that uh, that the people for whom this movie is not working, I just don't see their point of view. I think it's at least very good, if not great. You know, that's that's clear. I suspect it is forgotten uh, because even when I talk to people about it, they remember it more than they've seen it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that when I when I was scanning the letterboxed reviews very quickly, I wasn't reading too deeply. The number of people who've seen the movie only because they were required to for Spanish class, which again, I celebrate. I celebrate that Spanish teachers are doing that. But the number of people for whom they had not even heard of it until they were required to watch it for Spanish Spanish class is, is pretty big. And I think that it is difficult because as we've discussed before, it's easier for some reason for film nerds to focus on their childhood than it is for more recent history. Um, but I think that if we are at some point going to start to celebrate the movies of the two thousands in a more realistic way, this needs to be on the list. This just mm-hmm. needs to be on the list. It needs to be one of the films that we look back on from that decade and say, okay, that was good. That was good. And it's worth remembering and it's worth thinking about for our future, how we create movies that have this level of empathy and this level of creativity and this level of nuance. I think it just, it succeeds in those things. Even if in other ways it isn't as compelling or as critical as you want, I think it's overall, it's got to be marked as a success and something worth remembering. Uh, But again, that's my perspective. I know there are probably some listeners as well as other kind of film nerds on Twitter for whom this movie is as relevant to them as Million Dollar Baby. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That those people exist. And so I would say, while the gemness for me is inarguable, the forgottenness, uh, mileage may vary. For some people, they're going to be surprised we're even discussing this movie. For other people, they're going to be like, oh, right, that makes sense. Um, I think this movie fits into the category that a lot of films do uh, from the early 2000s, which is that the cynicism that we may have grown since then, or maybe it's just the both of us aging, means that we have a slightly different perspective on the film now than maybe when it came out. That said, I don't think that the film is necessarily worse for it. I think it just means that we, the way that we interpret certain parts of it have changed. And maybe a lot of people who watch it now um, compared to when they would have seen it in 2004, their opinions of it might have changed. Not that it's a better or worse movie, but just how their perspective is on the ending, on whether 
um, certain elements of it that might have seemed optimistic at that time might seem pessimistic now. And maybe it, the the optimism we may have had in 2004, if you indeed had that, maybe that was built on sand in the first place. Maybe it didn't really maybe we're more realistic rather than cyn- uh, cynical about the situations that are on display here. But I do think it's a very worthwhile movie. And I do think that performance is absolutely amazing, uh, especially, again, considering lack of experience, just someone going all out and showing uh giving a performance that's so real that the character almost exists apart from the performer that it's it's a fully formed three-dimensional person so a really great performance a really terrific movie liam maria full of grace i i think it does fit into the forgotten gem category a movie that also perhaps debatedly um and and, and controversially fits into that category is 1994's what happened was now i didn't reveal this to you liam but i was reading an article earlier that the director of What Happened was Tom Noonan, who also was the writer and star of this film, that they are about to re-release this film. Or, in fact, I think they may have just done so in 2021, where they're actually re-editing it, I think, remastering it, maybe even adding some effects work to it. I haven't read a lot about it, but that's my understanding. This is a film that came out in 1994. It was nominated for Best First Screenplay, and the actress for uh, the lead actress was nominated for Best Female Lead at the 10th Independent Spirit Awards, and it won the Grand Jury Prize and the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award at the 1994 Sundance Film Fest. Uh, it's Tom Noonan, the great Tom Noonan's What Happened Was from 1994, a film I have not seen. I am a big Tom Noonan fan. I think he's an amazing actor, but I have not seen any of his directorial work. Liam, any thoughts on What Happened Was? Not only have I never heard of it, I don't know that I remember who Tom Noonan is. So let me see. I can I can get you to remember Tom Noonan. He was the villain in uh, uh, Manhunter, the uh, Michael Mann film, the... Not, not of course, uh, Hannibal Lecter, but the actual right. Film. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. All right, I'm with you. I didn't know he directed, let alone wrote and directed. I'm. Oh, in really fact, curious. I mean, what a silly thing. He was in Mystery Train. Remember, he was in the uh, right. Yes, the cafe. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. That so. totally, that totally clicks for me now. Uh, yeah, but I had no idea he wrote and directed. So now I am just as excited to see this movie. <laughs> On the next episode of Forgotten Gems, 1994s. What happened was Liam. People want to check out more episodes of Forgotten Gems or some of our other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts or some of your other work. What's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can always find our latest episode over at cinepunks.com. C i n e p u n x. Cinepunks is a forum for film fans or something. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a home for great writing, great podcasts. There's a variety of film and culture podcasts there. Uh, and we're always looking for new work. So hit us up, cinepunks at gmail.com. You can also find Cinepunks on social media, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're there. We're posting content, uh, and maybe we could post some of your content. Let us know. Uh, they can also head over to our website if they want to hit up the archive of not only this show in the Cinema Smorgasbord family, but also all the different topics we cover from Carol Kane to Jackie Chan to Steve Buscemi. There's a lot of <laughs> things we do, and we're always coming up with new ideas, things that I pitch to Doug, and then he agrees to because who cares? <laughs> Let's just do everything. Why, why have any limits? Uh, they can find us on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, By the way, I don't know if you ever said what the website was where they could find Cinema it. Cinemasmorgasbord.com. <laughs> I think I said that, but that's that's what it is. Cinemasmorgasbord.com or cinema, at Cinema Smorg on Twitter. They can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Liam Rules, uh, R-U-L-Z. And you're at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L. E-Y. <laughs> <laughs>
I was at I was at the doctor's office recently, and I had to spell my last name, and I I said a T I L L E Y, and I embarrassed myself. Apparently, that's just how I say my name. <laughs> I love that. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's it. That's all they can do. Nothing else. Don't do anything else. <laughs> Leave us some reviews on iTunes if you can, if you get the opportunity. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, we need to close the Forgotten Gems bag. We're going to be back very soon with Tom Noonan's What Happened Was. Good night, everybody. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee Her dress has got a tear She waltzes on her way to mass And whistles on the stair And underneath her wimple She has curlers in her hair I've even heard her singing in the abbey She's always late for chapel But her penitence is real She's always late for everything Except for every meal I hate to have to say it But I very firmly feel Maria's not an asset to the Abbey I'd like to say a word in her behalf Maria makes me Laugh. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flippity-jibbit, a 